podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Put a arm around me and say, Pat, keep going, son, you're going to be the greatest. After 48 games at Watford, that's when Bill Nick came calling. Met the great man himself, he just called me Bill. What a great player, but also what a great fella he was. You're playing in the 1986 World Cup at the age of 41. I finished up then playing against Brazil on my 41st birthday. About a month from the end of the season, I was back and I picked up papers one morning. I read Pat Jennings might be available for transfer. The worst day of my life, couldn't believe it. Hi everyone. Here we are for another episode of Off The Shelf with me, Michael Dawson, and my co-host, Paul Miles. Oh no, it's not Paul Miles today. He's having a week off. He could be anywhere. So I've got a new co-host for this uh, episode. Matt Tarr, how are you? I'm very good, thanks, Dawes. I'm very good. What people won't realise is that normally I'm sat the other side, behind the camera, producing this thing. He's doing all the work. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm the, I obviously produced this podcast. So I've sat and watched you guys do these episodes for however long now. And I've been like, oh, you know, itching to get on the sofa, ready to step in when Milesy is, is not here. So, and today is the day. You've guided us, mate. You've guided Listen, us. Listen, Dawes, you know how it is. I, I do my best. However, the guest today needs no introduction. Very special guest. Am I introducing you? I think no, I'm going to introduce you. Go on, go on. I, Miles, I know you like to, you, we've welcomed you here. <laughs> I'm not just welcoming you. Pat Jennings, what an absolute legend. It's great to have you. Thank you for coming, Pat. Pleasure, mate. Pat yeah. Jennings. Dawes, we are sat across from football royalty. Genuine football royalty. This man right here is an icon of not only football in general, this club, the English league. If you talked about iconic football goalkeepers from history, this guy would be on every single person's list without question. He certainly would. And we're going to find out all about him. <laughs> we absolutely are. Growing up in County Down, Northern Ireland. Yeah. What was he like growing up there, Pat? Yeah, tough in the old days. I was one of a family of eight. Uh, one sister, seven boys in the family, mum and dad, and my grandfather, 11 of us living in the same house. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine how tough that was. My dad was a local horseman in the town and uh, probably getting about 12 quid a week. So that was what we were brought up to, but that was how difficult life was in those days in Ireland, uh, even trying to get a job. I mean, you just took any sort of job to get a few bob. That was it. Yeah, of course. Now, I'm interested, Pat, because I've done some research and I read that you played a lot of Gaelic football yeah. in your youth. Is that right? Yeah, well, Catholic schools weren't allowed to play soccer. We had to play Gaelic football, Gaelic wow. games, hurling and, and uh, Gaelic, basically. So that was our town. We were all Gaelic football brought up to that. But I had played in a street league mm -hmm. uh, in soccer mm -hmm. whenever I was 11, playing in an under-19 league. So you can imagine what that was like. And I mean, it was unbelievable because we adopted different areas of the town, adopted the, the names of different clubs. We were Shamrock Rovers and there was Celtic and the Arsenal. And that was right the way across the town. And the rivalry in these matches was unbelievable on a night. And there would have been some nights, eight or 900 people watching the matches like. Wow. You could go. That's it was crazy. Just some, crazy. Yeah, just you some, said street football there, just to, to, to clarify. Not grassroots. This was street football. Yeah, there was no grassroots in those days, like you know. But uh, this was just a street league. Yeah. 
where where it was happening was right. You could walk, go on the footpath and look down on the on the pitch underneath. It was called the meadow. So we got those sort of crowds, eight or nine hundred people. You can imagine there wasn't much happening in the town, but uh, that was a, what I was brought up to playing in under nineteen league when I was eleven, and uh, that was the start of it for me. Like, but I mean, I mean that's a bit of a start. Yeah. Pat. I mean, as an eleven-year-old playing in an under 19s <laughs> league, how do you think you would have faced? In that, in that doors, in that situation. Uh, it's such a big age, age gap. Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, look, I played with players that were well developed at, at maybe 13, 14 playing at that age, but I was a late developer. Mm-hmm. So the gulf must have been so big. Yeah. Were you uh, always a goalkeeper? Was that something? Yeah, in, in soccer. And I needed a little run to get the touch the crossbar in those days, you can imagine. <laughs> and I mean, I've been working with McDonald's and the FA over the last 17, 18 years ambassador for the Irish FA and McDonald's on the grassroots programme. So now whenever I go around the country and see the facilities that the kids have nowadays, thanks to McDonald's and that. Uh, and you get free McDonald's? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to what they provide nowadays, to what we were brought up yeah. to, like, with a field at the back of, there was a little estate at the back of where we lived. Mm. And some nights would go up there, there'd be maybe six or eight of us, and other nights, 28. And there was a couple of people there that would have organised a little game of five aside or something like that, or six, eight, ten aside. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever I do this work now at McDonald's, it brings me back right, right back to those sort of people. How much we really appreciate people that work in grass football mm-hmm. at the moment, you know. But uh, Catholic schools, I had to play Gaelic football at school, and uh, I played out, played midfield at Gaelic. So if you can imagine what that was like. It was a key position in those mm. days where you were transferring the ball from the back players onto the front players and everybody's competing with the hands. You're taking all the knocks. So whenever I started playing serious soccer then, it, I didn't realise how, just how beneficial that was going to be to me. You did. You answered my next people, question there. So you think it made that much of a difference for, yeah, for your football career being a Cross is coming in, people trying to head it, like, and I'm three foot above them, yeah. like, and, you know. Just psychologically yeah. as well, I thought even I can get one hand there, I can pull it down and and I can still react because I can use my hands. I can still react quicker than people that can't use the hands. Psychologically, it was yeah, fantastic. So then, how how I'm interested? <clears throat> how do you then go from the street league playing Gaelic football at school to then Newry Town? Well, it was unbelievable. I mean, I left school at 15. I didn't have an education, and I mean, if you didn't have an education in those days, you just took any sort of work. I went to work in one of the local factories, linen factories, and I was there for 10 months, and the factory closed. And then my dad, he was working in a local timber gang, clearing one of the mountains just outside Newry in Ireland, and he got me a job in the timber gang. So I'm there. My brother, who played with me in that, in the street league, he was playing with the local New York United team. And he came in one night in the middle of winter and said to me, Arfella, uh, the boys want you down, the goalkeeper's going to England to look for work. Uh, come down, you might get a game. I said, are you joking? I said, middle of winter, I said, go down and train and finish up in a cold shower at the end. And I said, no chance. But he was back the next week and he says, look, the goalkeeper's gone, the boys want you down. So I went down on the Thursday night with him and uh, played in the team on the Saturday and kept a clean sheet. 
and after about three or four months, we win the Irish Junior Cup. I think there's something like, there's hundreds of teams take part in that. Like. Mm. So that was the start of it for me. I went into the Newry Town team the next year. They were playing the Irish B League. And I'm there three, four months, and the chairman comes to me one night, Pat, he said, I'm putting your name forward for selection for the Irish Youth Team. I said, what does that mean? He said, there's a European Youth Tournament coming up. If you make the team, uh, you'll be going, hopefully, to play in this European Youth Tournament. So I'd never been out of Ireland at, at uh, 17. And I wasn't jumping up and down about the prospects. I'd <laughs> yeah. been to Dublin and Derry. That was the furthest Northern Ireland. But anyway, give me the date for the, for the, the trials. They had to be cancelled because of snow. So we played, we got it drawn against uh, Crusaders in the Irish League. They were in the, in the Irish League. We were in the B League nearly. And I must have had a decent game because the chairman of Crusaders, he came into the Newry Town dressing room after the match and said, Pat, it'll be a pleasure to have you in our team, in the Northern Ireland youth team. But what I didn't realise at that time was that we still had to go down south to play the south to see who was going through to represent Ireland. And we won over the two games. So literally, I came off the mountain 10 days later I'm playing the final of the European Youth Tournament at the world-famous Wembley. Wow. So if you can imagine what it was like in those days to play at wow. Wembley, unless yeah. you played in the cup final or played for your country, nobody ever played yeah. at Wembley. And the players played all the all great players and mm. never managed to get to play it. Here's me 10 days later, I'm playing at Wembley. So the England team beat us, I think, something like 4-0 on, on the night. We were lucky to get nil. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was a shop window for me. Yeah. Back to work one day, uh, went training that night. Chairman's there again, Pat, there's one or two clubs in for you. So I said, who's that? Uh, Watford and Jimmy Hill from Coventry. So I think the deal was done between Watford chairman and Yuri chairman and a sign for Watford. You, know? you said you'd not been out of Northern Ireland. <clears throat> so you go to a tournament, then you go back and the next thing you're in Watford. Yeah. How, how hard was that? It was difficult, you know, if you can imagine, like, even leaving the family like. Mm. But unbelievable. Bill McGarry, the, the manager who was as tough as old boots at Watford, uh, a couple of times, three times at least during the year, he comes to me on the Friday, called me into the office, Pat, and give me a, a, an air ticket, go and see the family. And he would have me dropped at the airport on Saturday night after the match and pick me up on Thursday night. So, I mean, it was something I've never forgot because it was so important to me yeah. at the time. And I wonder now that players coming in from all over the world, mm. uh, you know, they, do they ever get that opportunity mm. to go back? Even people from, from Ireland, Scotland and that, uh, do the, do the coaches and that think how important it is for I, those I think kids. I think now, certainly when I, I was two and a half hours away, Pat, from, from my mum and dad's in Yorkshire to Nottingham, but when you got that, people from the outside won't realise yeah. how much it meant just to be able to go home. Yeah. Something yeah. as little from a coach's point of view, and you still remember it now, Pat, yeah. it was so important, so important three times, yeah. Yeah. and just to get a few days at home, it just cleared your head and then you could come back and you had a hunger again and... 
it, it is so important for young academy players, even first team players. Yes. Like you just said, that maybe away for the family for the first time, all mm. these kind of things settling that people probably don't give it as much attention as, as, as they probably should, I think. Mm. Definitely. I think I'd, we need to highlight as well <clears throat> the fact that Pat casually says he's come down from the mountains. Like he's working on the mountains and then he's playing at Wembley. Mm. And then he's signing for Watford. Like it's, it's with... You've got, you clearly have real talent at this age, Pat, because yeah. not everybody can do that journey. You don't see many people coming off working in the mountains but I think, through Wembley yeah, for in me, such a short just, space of time. Uh, ignorance was bliss, you know. I just went along, but ke people kept putting me on the next step of the ladder. Okay. And I just worked up from there, like, you know. You, you, I, you talk there, Pat, about the next, next step on the ladder. After 48 games at Watford, that's when Bill Nick came calling. Yeah, I got a call from Bill McGarry, by the way, that he wanted me back to do some extra training in the middle of the, the, the close season. Like. So I didn't know any different. I thought he just wants to get me up to stand up with the, with the other players, like at my age, you know. So I packed up, yeah, went back. He picked me up at the airport and along the way he said, do you know why you're here, son? So I said, yeah, I'm back to do some more training. He says... No, not really, he says uh, Mr. Bill Nicholson's waiting for you at Vicarage Road. So I thought, oh, you know, couldn't believe it. Like, yeah. So somewhere along the line that I thought, picked up the courage to say to him, uh, am I getting anything out of the deal? <laughs> <laughs> so, How did that go down? Not very good, as you can imagine. <laughs> In those days, you weren't yeah. doing anything out of the, out of the 60, 64, you weren't doing anything out of transfer mm. money, like. So you know, he jumped at me anyway. So <laughs> there wasn't much said. Then a bit further along the, the road, I said to him, uh, what's the transfer fee? None of your business. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was your next question? How much are you paying me? So <laughs> yeah. that was it. Uh, not a lot said between us. And I went, met the great man himself, referred to Mr. Nicholson. Forget about the mister, just call me Bill. So you can imagine there may eighteen year old on first name terms of the great man himself. But that was what Bill was like. Mm -hmm. So I had a little chat with with Bill and uh, what's the wages? Thirty thirty five pounds a week. I said, Mr. Nicholson, I said, I'm I'm on the thirty four, thirty five pounds a week here at Watford. He said, What you? And he poked me in the chest, he said, What you? I said, yeah, and I was trying to uh, build them. I said, I'm an international player. Yeah. <laughs> I'd played for Northern yeah. Ireland a couple of games as well. He said, you, an international player? This is him come to sign me. Like. Yeah. Wow. And he said, I can check on the wages. He didn't believe me that yeah. I was getting 34, 35 pound a week. But my first wage at Watford was 23 pound a week. Another two pound if I made the first team plus bonuses. I mean... Getting that from, I was working on the mountain in Ireland, four pounds something a week. I thought I'd won the pools. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now I'm getting 25 pounds a week plus to play football. Yeah. But that was anyway, I finished up in the long run, right, let me go back to Ireland and talk about the move with my dad. So went away and didn't sign. And you can imagine me whenever I arrived at Belfast Airport, all the press are there. Mm. And I haven't played for the great Tottenham Hotspur, you know, haven't signed. So uh, I had to go missing for a couple of days, so it all died down. And then eventually, after a week or so, I get a call from, from Bill. 
have you thought any more about signing for Tottenham because I've got to make all the arrangements. The next thing, him and, and, and the boss, Watford, he's over, Bill McGarry, over to the Grand Centre Hotel in Belfast. And first goes in, meets up Bill McGarry and said, have you thought any more about, I mean, I'm only talking about a hundred pounds signing on for you or something like that. So he says, you come back to Watford, he said, I'll have you working morning, training morning, noon and night. So I said, here, give me the form. <laughs> so I finished up anyway, signing for, for Bill, he gave me 40 pound a week on a tenor appearance. That was my contract. And Bill gave me a hundred pound in my contract for signing for Tottenham. Imagine what Tottenham. that would have been now. Can oh. you imagine? Wow. I know. This sounds like a different world, <clears> doesn't it? It's a completely different world. It was a long time back then, though. It was probably, like you said, you were doing working up the mountains for four, four pounds. So you've got to realise yeah. what you're doing. And we've been privileged to, and to this is what, do something you know, we love. Of course. And I never dreamt about early yeah. years, you know, mm. that build-up to professional football that I have nowadays. Yeah. I never dreamt that it was ever going to be available to me. And I never thought of, not that I wasn't good enough, but I just never thought I would get the opportunity. Yeah, of course. And just to put a timestamp on this, we're talking about the early 60s at this point. This is 64, 64 when you signed for Spurs, right? Signed, yeah. So the team that you're walking into is full of icons. We know about Spurs in the, in the 60s and some of the great teams that Bill Nicholson managed. Talk to me a little bit, Pat, about some of the players in the team when you walked in, because Jimmy Greaves was there. Yeah, all the but the most of the all the double winning team. Yeah, uh, yeah. sixty sixty one team, and then the, the first team, uh, Tottenham first team, team to win a European competition sixty three. Yeah. So, Ron Baker, Ron Henry, uh, Morris Norman, Dave Mackay, mm -hmm. yeah, they were all there. You Cliffy, know. Cliffy Jones. Cliffy, oh, yeah, what yeah. a player! What Cliff. a player! What yeah. a legend! Yeah. So I mean, but for me, it was just. That was me going in at ignorance was blessed. I didn't know what I was going into and yep. I was just going with the flow. So of course. But it was unbelievable to meet people like that. You I was know, gonna say, did you feel starstruck? Jimmy Greaves and yeah. that. And I mean Bill Brown I, I shared the first year with Bill and uh, then got in the second part of the second year and, and took over from there. Like mm -hmm. but the early, you know, I didn't I could have got away with stuff, maybe parrying shots in the third division. Yeah. That you wouldn't have got away with in the first division, you know. You touched on Jimmy Greaves there, there Pat. How, how, how much did that improve your goalkeeping, coming up against a striker in training, a finisher of, of his quality? You just went along with it, you know. You admired it, like, and yeah. thinking, what a great player, but also what a great fella he was. I mean, often after matches, I'm sure that I had maybe given a goal away that I should have done better with those first, certainly the first years, year and a half. And uh, he would come over and put an arm around me, the great Jimmy Graves, like, mm. put an arm around me and say, Pat, keep going, son, you're going to be the greatest. And I mean, you know, the other players, I'm sure they were saying, I've cost them the bonus money today, Ella. I'm sure Jimmy got you out of trouble many occasions, <laughs> the amount of goals he scored, yeah, scored Pat. No, no doubt, yeah. <laughs> Always had a fantastic relationship. Never won yeah. an appreciation I had for him. Like brilliant, Jim. Yeah, special times. Gentleman, Jim. Of course. Well, and, not, and not what a player. A water player. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We talk about Spurs greats. I mean, yeah. what a player. We've only seen his goal record broken very, very recently, obviously mm. by Harry Kane. So that yeah. just goes to show how fantastic he was. Yeah. In front and of goal. When you look at the player, the pitches we played on, 
to what they play on nowadays. Yeah, exactly. And Jim never seemed to be one of those people that lashed the ball into the net. He just passed it in. Mm. So if you can imagine him on these pitches nowadays. Mm. Oh, he'd score yeah. bucket loads, yeah. wouldn't he? Yeah. Pat, you scored in a charity shield game, am I right? Against Manchester United? <laughs> yeah, 1967, yeah. So not long after joining Spurs, so you're still a young man at this point. Yeah. And somehow you find yourself bagging a goal at Old Trafford, I believe. Yep. Against Manchester United. And one of your international teammates was in the side that day, Georgie Best. So what was it like? Talk me through scoring that goal from your perspective. Well, it was a free kick just outside our box and Dave Mackay was on his way up to take it. I said, give it to me, Dave, and knock it up. And as usual, I was trying to hit Alan Gilzean, our centre-forward up front. And I think the Man United goalkeeper, Alex Stepney, he had come out of the back of his centre-half, Bill Fox, I believe, and Gilly, thinking he would pick up a, a miscontrolled ball that had travelled into the pitch like. And, uh, of course, once both had missed Alan on the centre-half and now poor old Alex in no-man's land and the next bounce, it's in the back of the net. And even Kenneth Wilson home, lucky enough, it was on television that day and it must have taken him a half a minute to work out that Jennings had scored a goal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'd never seen it before. Like. Exactly. Yep. That's it, very special. So, just unbelievable. Like, I tell people that I've seen Alex off his line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and exactly. and uh, I have to tell you that, that Mackay claimed an assist for giving me the ball back. No up. way, yeah. I like it. I like so, it. But it was just one of those miracle things that, that happened. It's Matt, happened a few times it. since. You just touched on... You must have played it the day that Robbo... Robbo played against Yeah, Robert. I was going to say. Played and, in that one. And his was a dead ball kick. Dead ball. It was. From just outside the box mm -hmm. over the Watford keeper, yeah. Yeah, Ben Foster. So it does time, happen, yeah. yeah. But the, 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 the balls are a bit lighter now as well. And yeah, the pitches exactly. were harder, so it bounced yeah, and, yeah. and up and over. Mm -hmm. You touched on George Best there. Oh, yeah. I have to ask you about George Best. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, look, me growing up, my dad being a, a Manchester United fan, always talked about George Best being arguably the best ever player. How good really was he? Because well, people of, of yeah. my age won't... Well, we both started the international t uh, team together the same night. Northern Ireland got, were beaten at Wembley, I think, by England 8-3 or something like that. And all of a sudden, I get the call, I'm in the Northern Ireland team, taking over from the great Harry Gray. Can you imagine it, like, what he must have thought? A, a 17, 18-year-old now taking the great Harry Gregg's place. Like. But that was the way it was in those days. He would have forgot more about goalkeeping than what I knew about it at that stage. But anyway, I'm picked for Northern Ireland the same night as George. And, and uh, we had never played against each other at that stage. I'm in the third division. George is just breaking into the Man United team. But once you've seen him in training, you knew oh, what a talent this lad's going to be. And he was just such a lovely lad with it, you know, brilliant player. And went on to, to win the European Cup with, with, uh, with Man U and that. But I mean, playing with him, unfortunately, whenever I look back, he's only played 37, 38 times for Northern Ireland mm. and never managed to, to play in the 82 World Cup. Or 80, he would have been probably too old for 86 World Cup, but... You know, it's my one regret for him, such a fantastic player, that he didn't get to play in that 82 World Cup with us. How good would he have been in this day and age? Oh, brilliant. Phenomenal. I mean, even, even uh, whenever he came back to Fulham, he then got picked again for the Northern Ireland team. 
and the press were questioning whether he was good enough to come back and play at international level. And we were drawn again against the great Dutch team, Neeskens, Rep, Van de Kerk, Cruyff, mm -hmm. all that team. And went, up, went out that night playing in Rotterdam and they took Neeskens back to do a man-for-man -man marking job on him. And he must, Neeskens is now trying to cut him down like it. He, George must have nutmegged him about six times. And all of a sudden, George seen the tackle coming in, got above him, come down in Neeskens. And Neeskins is lying on the floor, moaning like, George takes his tie off up and says to him, here, tie them together. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was that great team. We drew two each with them that night. And that was a team who went on to play Argentina in the final of the World Cup the next year. That was how good the Dutch team were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and fantastic. Yeah, but George just ran the match that night. Brilliant. Yeah, what so, a player. Yeah, yeah. Um, what a player. We talk a little bit about football changing over the years. I've got to talk to you, Pat, about something I've written down here, and that is your pre-match meal back in the day. Because I've heard, and I've written this down, where is it? Here we go. That you used to start with tea and toast before eating a fillet steak and finishing up with baked rice pudding. Is that correct? I could eat that now. That <laughs> you was, fancy that outdoors, yeah? That was dead on, yeah. <laughs> and then I need to sleep. That was yeah. it. And that would have been about 12 o'clock. On match days. On a match day, so were. before a game. Up and down the country, yeah. Wow. And you got that. You wouldn't get that at home. Like. Okay. But on away matches, staying in the hotel, that was the pre-match meal. And they reckon we got the benefit of that about 8 o'clock that night. <laughs> <laughs> so, Of course. Changed times, you know. Definitely very yeah. different to what the players are consuming nowadays. Is that something you'd fancy those before a game? Definitely not. <laughs> uh, I used to like me grub, but I couldn't have eaten that. I used to have Weetabix bit of toast, chicken and pasta. Okay. Bit of beans. And that would have been me. But if I don't know what part of that, I'd have been, All of that. Would have been asleep. I'd have been like, oh, just fill it steak. Fill it steak. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh. that, that's well gone with the sports yeah. science nowadays. That yeah. So long to digest but, but and all them kind of things. We obviously thought that was what we needed. Yeah, well, well, that's it. Yeah. That was why no we got it. No one question it worked for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't have to do this. Yeah, you're right. Run the bar as the outfield players, yeah. So during your time at Spurs, Pat, you won FA Cups, two League Cups and the UEFA Cup. How good was that Spurs team? Uh, yeah, un unbelievable, like right the way through. I mean, to win your first FA Cup in 1967, uh, first London final against Chelsea. Mm. And I mean, you can imagine the sort of pressure we're under at that time, like uh, trying to follow or, or follow up what the double winning team had done. Yeah, of course. And uh, that year we actually beat uh, Nottingham Forest in the semi-final uh, to, to, to make the final mm -hmm. and they finished runners-up to Man United that year in the league and that was the closest we ever got to, to doing the double like that year but I mean the pressure of FA Cup finals that was the competition in, in those days showing around the world on television like. and I mean for us goalkeepers you knew if you made a mistake for that you were going to be seeing that for the rest of your days because mm. they used to replay on match days, the FA Cup mornings, they would have played all the previous cup finals for years before. So there was a lot of pressure on us, you know. And I had a, there was another fellow literally lived down the street from me, 200 yards, a fellow called Peter McParland. He played for Aston Villa and scored the two goals against Aston Villa in the 57 cup final 
against Man U. And uh, if you can imagine me, I'm getting letters and telegrams from people at home in Ireland, make sure you bring home another FA Cup medal. So it wasn't bad enough having the pressure of having the win for Spurs, but all the people at home mm -hmm. sending me messages and that. So uh, it was brilliant whenever we managed to win that was the FA Cup. And that, as I say, mm. it was massive competition in those days. Yeah, of course. Obviously yep. beating Chelsea 2-1 in the final. I think they dubbed it the Cockney final, I think. Yeah, it was, it was the, the first, first All-London all right? final, yeah. So after you lift the trophy, did you notice life change for you? Did you become more of a famous person? Are people now spotting you out because they've seen you in the FA Cup final on TV? Would that be in the big game? It was game? something that you wouldn't have noticed, like, but really? it was obviously happening. Yeah. yeah. But then again, every time you went out, whenever you had a bigger reputation, every time you went out, whether you were playing up the country, down the country, uh, you had to live up to your reputation. Mm. Like so. But I suppose that was uh, part of the game as well, being able to deal with it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's something that I, I can only imagine. Like, Dawes, you, you'll have experienced this being a player yourself, is the, the level of fame that comes with playing the game. Because, you know, you play 90 minutes on the pitch, that's fine, you, you do your job, but it's everything outside of that. With social media and stuff now, it's even more so. Mm. How, how did you cope with that side of the game? Um, I think I think as a player, you gradually, it wasn't overnight. I mean, look, you're coming through the ranks at Forest and you're walking around the streets in Nottingham, no one knows you. And then all of a sudden you're in a first team and then people start talking about you in the local paper. So then everywhere you go, people know you. Then you make the big move here mm. and you're on TV every game because we're then chasing Champions League position. I think, mm. I, was, I think in my first season, I think our last 12 games were on Sky. Wow. And so that sort of changed from coming from the Championship now you're on Sky 12 times. Mm, yeah. Last 12 games. So then everyone's watching football and locally everyone knew you. That was what it was. But you just, people then come mm. to see you all the time. So it didn't really make a difference. It was when I went home and people like that because thinking, oh, now you're someone different to, to where you were as yeah. a young kid growing yeah, up yeah. because you've, you've seen on TV like something, something different. But it wasn't like it changed overnight. It was a gradual thing. So that was, mm. it didn't really affect me too bad. It was, it was okay. I think if you, Overnight, become from from no one to a superstar. Yeah, you've gone from yeah. being able to walk down. So it was gradually with with mine, and probably a majority of football which would be like that. Yeah, of course. Would you agree, Pat? With that, yeah. it's, yeah, it's not overnight that yeah, you, you yeah. go from no one mean, knowing you to everyone knowing. In you. your days, the matches were on telly every yeah. week. You know, whereas in our days, whenever we got to the ground and we seen the television cameras there or the lorries there, you think, oh, better not make a mistake yeah. today. So you had a <laughs> Up your game again. Yeah, of but, course. And, and you were under the same pressure yeah. week in, week out. That was something from home. You know everyone at home would be watching. Like, so when you had a good yeah. game, if you wanted to play, when you were in the championship, you might have the odd Friday night game on Sky. So that one game you wanted to play well in because everyone's watching. Mm -hmm. But when you were in the Premier League every game, so you mm. had to perform. I know every week you try and perform, but you always yeah, wanted to. Yeah. That, that first one on, on Sky and I always seem to score on Sky for, first, for a while <laughs> with, with Forrest I didn't, didn't happen too much yeah, here yeah. but yeah um, let's move on Pat let's move on to so you've picked up your fifth trophy for, for Spurs you're now getting the recognition not just as a, as a team but individual that must have been unbelievable you got the Football of Writers Football of the Year award that must have been special because now you're getting the recognition collectively but individually now you're the top of your game and the Football Writers Award, that must have been extra. Yeah, massive. I mean, uh, 73, 
that was when I won that mm. award. And I mean, I just saved two penalties at Liverpool in that match with the morning of the Grand National. And I made, I think, four or five other saves from unbelievable. Just one, had one of those days. Yeah. Like, so obviously the timing was right for me and the press then, the next thing I'm, I'm football of the year. But I was reading since that Bill Shankly said it was the best goalkeeping display I'd ever seen like, from wow. opposition. Like. So uh, obviously, but again, then all of a sudden the pressure's on. Mm, of course. Because you're going to play in away matches and, and you're that football of the year and people are now looking at you. Your home supporters know what you're doing for the, for the team every week, but now you're having to raise your standard playing more so even playing away from home every week. As, yeah. as this year's Football of the Year. Of course. How so, did you deal with that pressure, Pat? Because we've spoken to, well, you and Milesy have spoken to quite a few people on this podcast about dealing with the pressures of, of football, of, of just life in general. How mm. did you deal with the added pressure of being the football well, writers? Funny, George Best used to say to me that uh, whenever they started to go downhill, man, you that uh, he felt that if he didn't go out and beat two or three players and stick the ball in the net, that he had disappointed fans that had come to see the great George Best. Mm. And that sort of brought it home to me about the sort of pressure that, that he was over at every week playing. And I mean, somehow looking back, I would blame Man United for the way they went from from European Cup winners to right down the, the, the league. And I think had they been where they should have been every week at the top of the league, a club like Man U, I think George would have been with them, like, but mm. who, one of those things we'll never know. But the pressure you just had to learn to deal with, like, and that was it. It was a pressure that <laughs> probably every goalkeeper in the country would have liked to have been Football of the Year. Yeah, of course. Yep. Yep. So, so you said that was 73? 73. And then in 1976, you won the arguably the best individual award you can win. Mm -hmm. And no other keeper had ever done it. PFA Player of the Year, coming from your fellow pros. Wow. <clears throat> Only one other keeper did that in Peter Shilton. Now that must be still, mm -hmm. to this day, yeah. a really, really proud moment. I could only imagine winning that award. I mean, the legends and icons of this game that have mm -hmm. won that, and you're one of them, Pat. Well, I've done the interviews there. That both associations this year were, selling, were celebrating special occasions. And it was unbelievable going back through the, the football writers. 70, whatever it is, 75 years, and there'd only been four goalkeepers that had won it, mm -hmm. from Bert Troutman, and Banksy, myself, and Neville Southall. And then to be the first goalkeeper that won the, the PFA Awards, as you say, to be chosen by your fellow professionals, uh, you know, unbelievable night. So, and going back, it was funny because uh, the chairman of the PFA he kept ringing me that week, Pat, are you going to be at the function on the Sunday night? So we, Northern Ireland, were playing in Israel that week, the next weekend. And I, I phoned them back to say, no, I'm travelling with the Northern Ireland team to Israel. And uh, I could see that, you know, he hadn't, he couldn't tell me, like, but he rang me two or three times during the week. I said, no, I'm travelling with the team. Like, I never dreamt about that I was in but he did say that you're in the top zone, so or that. But he still didn't tell me that. So anyway, I let the Northern Ireland team go, stayed behind for the PFA event, 
I'm within the night in Brian Murray's interviewing Kevin Keegan. I'm thinking, oh, now I'm traveling to Israel tomorrow on my own. <laughs> Eventually, whenever my name was called out, I was football of the year, which was to Amazing. be, as you say, Amazing. fellow professional. Oh. And I finished up then the next morning flying to Israel on my own. And the captain of the, the aircraft invited me up to the cockpit to accompany him to uh, to Israel. Wow! Can you there imagine? You go. Can you imagine that happening nowadays? No. Like we've got this year's football of the year on board. So, and he invited me up. They have they have their own now. They have their own plane. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Harlan, so. would it last year as your own plane? Yeah. Yep. Very different, <laughs> isn't it? It's amazing, no part. Honestly, guess, that yeah. is. I think for anyone who's played the game and realises what that award is about, mm, that is yeah. an incredible achievement, Pat. And and I, did, I, did, I didn't realise literally to about 18 months ago, one of the press guys rang me up and said, Pat, do you realise you're the only present day goalkeeper that has won both? Yeah. In this day and age to be the only goalkeeper. Probably never done neither now. Probably yeah. never ever be done that again. I highly never, doubt ever. that. Yeah. I was going to say actually, Pat, do you think, how how close do you think we are to seeing a goalkeeper win the PFA Player of the Year award? Because we know we've got some fantastic goalkeepers I don't in think, the Prem. No, I don't think it'll happen. Though. Do you not? No. Just I mean, because goal be scoring nice. is taking over? Yeah. And uh, I mean, just as you see, the, the uh, Man City sent the forward this year and bump. Yeah. And I suppose that's how lucky I've been to, to have won both. Yeah. Well, you say lucky. Yeah. It could, I think it comes down to, to your talent. I think you, you justifiably won both of those awards. They weren't in the same year. They were separate years. So mm. you maintained your quality, the trophies that yeah. you won, the way that you're regarded by mm. the football writers, but also your fellow professionals. Yeah. You know, I think, I think it comes down to your talent and ability, yeah. Pat. But it was funny going back to the, the first one, the 73, the more that I saved the two, the two penalties, I mean... Kevin Keegan, he picked the first one up he wanted to take. And you can see Tommy Smith, he's give it to me. like So they were arguing between each other. So you can picture the same whenever I save this, the first penalty. Mm -hmm. Smithy wants to Keegan, you so-and-so, you know. Why didn't you give it to me? And 20 minutes later, the second penalty, there's no doubt who's taken it. Yep. And uh, I said, there weren't good penalties, to be honest, but I said, <laughs> I'd made four or five brilliant all saves in the match. And whenever I was coming out, he was being interviewed by the press and he said, I was so lucky. Had I been riding in the Grand National in the afternoon, I probably would have, would have won it as well. <laughs> so, but uh, just a, a great occasion looking back, yeah. And indoors. I can't believe it. Big move for Pat. So uh, a few years later, you move across to the other side of North London to go and play for Arsenal. Now... Going from Spurs to Arsenal is not something that, or, or vice versa, is not something that many players have done across the years. So for you going from being a Spurs icon to, to going to play in red, were you nervous going over to Arsenal at all? Nervous. The worst day of my life. Really? I couldn't believe it. Uh, our, our, my last year at Tottenham, I missed something like 20 games. I had an Achilles injury. Couldn't kick dead balls. And the other players weren't prepared they kicked dead ball because they felt that they couldn't get up with play then. Different than nowadays when they're starting in the six-yard yeah, box. Yeah. <laughs> I could have played. But anyway, uh, we got relegated at the end of that year. But mm. about a month from the end of the season, I was back 
and I picked up the Sunday papers one morning and I, I read Pat Jennings might be available for transfer. Couldn't believe it, like, year yeah. before Football of the Year. And I thought, I'd better ask Keith Birkinshaw, what's this about? What's this story about? And unbelievable, Terry Neal had rang me at Arson as manager, he rang me. Pat, what's this I'm reading in the paper that you might be available? I said, I can't believe it, Terry, but I said, no way can I join Arsenal, no chance, but thanks for the call. Like, so that was a couple of months earlier. But anyway, I asked Keith on the way back from Sweden, Keith, what's this I'm reading that I might be available for transfer? He says, well, actually, he said, uh, I had a call from Bobby Robson at Easter, but he said it was worth more than what his job was worth to let me go at that stage. So if you can imagine then, that was, you know, couldn't believe what I was hearing. Like. Mm. So you can imagine what sort of a time I had in Ireland thinking, what am I going back to now? Am I going to be up the country, down the country, kids out of school? Mm. Uh, just no man's land, you know? It was the worst day of my life yeah. in football. I couldn't believe it, what I was being told. So like, Bobby Robson rang me in the afternoon at three o'clock. I'd done the deal to go to Ipswich literally in five minutes. He was going to let me live where I live now and in the area and travel to Ipswich three, four days a week for training and, and obviously match days. Whenever I look back, I'm thinking, what an idiot I would have been like to travel. Mm -hmm. that every, every, what age were you at this, yeah, this age, Pat? 32. 32. Yeah. That was the way I left Bobby Robson in the afternoon. Done. He said, Pat, we're playing in Holland tonight. You don't need to speak to anybody. You can take it. The directors are there. The deal's done. So that was the way I left him. Meanwhile, then I got a couple of calls from Man U. Uh, Tommy Dock wanted me at Man U for a couple of years. Uh, Ron Saunders at Aston Villa. We want you at Aston Villa. So I'd said, right, let me think about it. You know, that was the way I left them. So I went then the next day to, I got a call that night from Bobby Robson to say that the deal dip switches off, one of the players broke a leg and whatever money he was spending it, on me, he then had to buy an outfield player. So mm -hmm. the deal dip switch was off. And I read in Bill Nick's book since there was new legislation coming out, had you been at the club eight, nine, ten years that uh, the next year you could go on a free transfer. So I take it that was the reason that I was, was so. However, you won another trophy. Yep. FA Cup at Arsenal. <laughs> You're loved by both sets of fans, which when you play for Spurs or play for Arsenal, that doesn't happen. Yeah. How did you manage to do that? Just that by your performance? Well, well, apart from being a gentleman. That you oh, are, of course. Yeah. But no, just performances, yeah. obviously, week in, week out. And funny enough, one of the years I went, the next game after I'd been receiving some of the Football of the Year awards, going at the play at Highbury, and I got a fantastic reception from the fans mm. in appreciation of me being Football of the Year. Mm. So, but I mean, I knew when I was joined over there, all the Irish lads, I was playing with Pat Rice, Sammy Nelson and the Northern Ireland team every other week. And then I knew all the other Irish boys that played for the South. So yeah. it was, for me, it was home for home. And I mean, I've been now Tottenham 43 years. I've been, went back with Ozzy, whenever he went back in the coaching staff, whenever Ozzy was manager. Mm -hmm. He invited me back, and I've been in the coaching staff here since. 
work on match days, hospitality. Arsenal gave me two four-year contracts, signed for them, right, played right up from 32 to 40. Yeah. And wherever I go, I've never got a bad word to say about Arsenal. They come and played in two testimonial matches for me. I think that's a credit to you as well. You, yeah. you touched on that, Dawes. Like, that is a credit to you, Pat, because as I said earlier, not many people go from Spurs to Arsenal, from Arsenal mm. to Spurs. It doesn't happen too often. And it's not always a celebrated thing when it does happen. However, as Dawes said, you are a Spurs legend, but also a legend to those mm. Arsenal fans. And, and that is all credit to you and the man you are. Well, you had longevity, that's for sure, <clears throat> Pat. You're playing in the 1986 World Cup at the age of 41. Mm. How, how did you manage that? Well, unbelievably, again, I'd packed up at Arsenal. At, uh, they weren't giving me any more contracts mm. after I finished my second four-year contract. Mm. And I was home in Ireland for seven, seven weeks again, and the season finished, wasn't going anywhere. Like. And I get a call from Peter Shreves, the manager at Tottenham, Pat, this was a Sunday night. Pat, can you help us out? We are desperate. We've only got one fit goalkeeper, Ray Clemens, the great late mm. Gray. Mm. So I said, Peter, I'm, I'm finished. He says, what do you mean? So I said, well, I haven't, I'm not got a club. He said, what are you doing for your World Cup qualifying matches coming up? And I hadn't even dreamt about going back anywhere. Laurie McMenemy had rang me. He'd taken over at Sunderland. And he wanted me to go and join him at Sunderland for a couple of years. And I'm thinking, all the years London and now Sunderland. Uh, <laughs> it's a long thanks. way up there, yeah, you know. Thanks, it's but, a long way north. Yeah, <laughs> but no, moving the family there, thanks, but no thanks. But anyway, he had rang Billy Bingham. And Bingy had said, if Pat's playing in any team, I'll play him in the qualifying match. We never even dreamt about qualifying, you know. But anyway, I was still chatting on to, to uh, Peter and I said, look, Peter, I'm in Ireland. Obviously, I'll, I'll ring you whenever I get back at the weekend. He said, Pat, I'm booking your flight in the morning. He said, we've got a game against Chelsea Reserves on Tuesday night. I need you to play. So literally, come back on the Monday and play against Chelsea on the Tuesday night. So that was me, spent the year at Tottenham, mm. playing reserves, playing in qualifying matches for Northern Ireland. And I had unbelievably six clean sheets leading up to qualifying for the World Cup. With two matches against Turkey, they were in our group. We played Platini, the French team, in a friendly in France, clean sheet. We played against uh, Spain in Spain and another friendly. One of the top soccer writers in Northern Ireland said it was the greatest goalkeeping display he'd ever seen me that night. And then next World Cup qualifying match, Romania away. We go out there, beat Romania 1-0. Now, the last match, we have to go to, to Wembley to get a point against England at Wembley. And somehow we went there and got the point on the night. Just incredible, like six clean sheets. I never had that at 30. And you were 41 at that point? No. You'd 40, you were 40. Yeah, and yeah when you went 41. Finished up then playing against Brazil on my 41st birthday. Amazing. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah in Mexico. 
Incredible. So Absolutely incredible. Isn't to it? be playing at that age is, yeah. is unbelievable. Couldn't have written the script for that. No, <laughs> no chance. Yeah. So we look we look at today's goalkeeping part. It's evolved. It all oh, it's always evolving. Who would you look at yourself and think that's who I would be in this day and age? I think we've all got different strengths mm. and weaknesses, like so I mean I think you know, there's not two goalkeepers as you say, there's not two of us the same different strengths and weaknesses but it, as long as you keep that ball out exactly. of the net that's, <laughs> well, that, the that's what I think Pat but you know how it's gone now you, yeah, you look not too far away sometimes now it's it's evolved and everyone wants to use the feet they've got to be good the main thing I say as a keeper keep the ball out the back of the net and you've done your job everything yeah. else is a bonus in my opinion but I mean would you like to be you know getting the goalkeeper to play your ball out of the box at the minute somebody <laughs> up your back no I wouldn't I, I wouldn't like I wouldn't like to be like that. I mean, I, I I grew up with watching someone like Rio Ferdinand. He was probably the one that I thought he can bring get the ball out from the back, mm. hit a diag. I always wanted to model myself on him. So yeah. I would have loved playing in this day. And age. If, you, if you get the opportunity, you get yeah, it there. yeah, absolutely. It's all yeah. the options. You can see at some matches the fans there were saying, "Get it in the other half," and I can see us now. I mean since the new manager has been absolutely brilliant like yeah. we are we're still playing out from the back but at least we're going forward yeah. Yeah. but the teams you see and you're just possession possession going nowhere mm. and you're thinking the fans want to see it in, in the opposing half totally and that's yeah. what's been so great about yeah. us and yeah. having that link up from Bizuma coming to collect at the back to play through Madison or we're getting Destiny and Pedro Porro from the fullback position higher up to tuck yeah. into midfield so definitely much more positive Brilliant. going yeah, forward. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, and you can see the reaction. I mean, I don't know how long it is since I've ever heard that sort of reaction from the fans. Yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah, yeah. Pat, we've got one more question. Um, so when you retired, you came back here in 1993 as goalkeeping coach. 30 years on, you're still here. How good is it to be able to come into the training ground and see how we've, the club's developed, the training centre, the goalkeeping, just to be part of the club? Yeah, just to be part of the club. I mean, Ozzy invited me back whenever he took over in 93. Uh, the, the late, great Ray Clemens, he, I think, had applied for the job as well. So Ozzy then couldn't keep him as goalkeeping coach. So I came back with Ozzy at that time, got the invite back. And I've worked with all the managers since. And uh, I've finished up then, eventually dropping back to working with Academy boys and uh, I've enjoyed that coming in a couple of days a week and it's just nice I mean whenever you come in and see what your what the facilities here and mm. what they've created at, at the new ground there's nothing in the country like it there you go does however Pat thank you so much for coming on our show you're an absolute gentleman an absolute legend and I'm sure everyone will enjoy listening Thank Pleasure. you, Pat. Yep, come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs> Pat, thank, thank you. you very much. No problem. Sports Social Podcast Network.